Hi, I'm Darren Steele, and this is Think Queerly, where I help human-hearted creatives connect with their purpose to create more freedom, impact, and joy in life. Well, it's been quite a long time since I've had a guest on my show, and I've been wanting to have my cousin, Kelly Walker, have a discussion and just talk about life, something a little bit different. Um, I haven't necessarily had a relation or such a good friend and lifelong confidant. So this is a little different, but I've known Kelly now for close to 45 years since I was a young boy, maybe 11 or 12. Um, He's 79 and I'm 55. And let me just say that he is someone who celebrates life. He quoted somebody else, and it shows up at the end of the show. To celebrate is to say yay to who we are in a ceremonial way. I can't think of a more wonderful way to start off the new year than sharing this discussion with you. Uh, Kelly has just lived a life with the mindset that it's simply good to be alive, and he's faced the possibility of death twice battling and surviving cancer, two different types, and the grace to live with an inner sense of delight. Now, he has had such an interesting, fully lived, fully realized life. He grew up in a small town, um, Walkerton in Ontario, and then spent 20 years of a monastic life with the Dominican order, uh, primarily in Quebec, and traveled and studied all over the United States and Italy. At 40, he experienced a severe burnout, uh, which was just a couple years after I had met Kelly or realized that our family was related. So he left the monastery and began a career in music. This had been something that was always prevalent in his life. He started playing piano, I think he said, as early as three years old and and has a degree from the University of Western. And then he toured with Irish singer-harpist Mary O'Hara and appeared on her TV series in the United Kingdom. And then his concert career took off and it found him on major stages in Canada and the United States. Um, He's worked with quite a number of other artists over the years. doing concerts with Canadian tenor Marc Dubois. He has a couple of CDs out, River Ash, a collection of 16 piano improvisations, um, and All My Life, which is a collection of his newest songs with full orchestrations. He's the author of three books, Loss of Soul, Burnout, and Dancing on the Ark, Facing Change in Uncertain Times, where he talks about his first cancer experience. And Growing Somewhere, Life After Midlife, uh, which is a third Canadian bestseller. He's addressed thousands of groups as a public speaker throughout the world and awarded the Pauline McGibbon Life Achievement in the Arts Award. And now he lives with his partner, Ray, in Stratford, Ontario, Canada. We cover a lot of ground and pretty much the whole gamut of his life that I just summarized in his brief bio, but we just go into much more depth and much more realization 
especially at this time while COVID-19 is still on our lives. So enough about me. I really hope you enjoy this conversation, even though you may not know who Kelly Walker is, but he is someone who can really inspire you to embrace and celebrate life simply because life is worth living. All right, here it is. So I'm here with my cousin, Kelly Walker. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you, Darren. Pleasure to be here. Well, we were just chit-chatting at the forefront, and in a moment, I'm going to get you sort of to fill us in a little bit about where you're at in life now, and then we'll take a, a wandering journey right back to the early beginnings. But I was thinking of framing this in terms of, you know, reinvention and personal transformation, because having known you as long as I've known you, I think we determined it's about 45 years now. You have exemplified growing, growing through different parts of your life, growing into different aspects of even sexuality, growing radically from one kind of a career, shall we put it into another kind, and always seemingly able to roll with the punches. And I know that's kind of <clears throat> sounding a little lighthearted through to maybe some of the struggles that I know you've challenged been, been or had to deal with, and we'll get into that. But there's, there's a wisdom in a life well lived and well reflected upon that I've, I've witnessed in, in you and in the time I've known you. So how's that for an introduction? Maybe just start with where you're at in your life now to give us a grounding. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to start with, <clears throat> I was born in a little town, Walkerton, in Bruce County. Uh, my father came from a little town, Mildmay, which was six miles or 10 kilometers or so away from there, and I weighed two pounds. Mm. Um, I had Irish grandmothers and Alsatian grandfathers who were all born in Canada, but they were the children of people who weren't. Um, I, I'm now 79, so that's not a bad place to start. So from two pounds to 220 pounds, uh, <laughs> one, one kind of growth. Yeah. I also um, grew, grew up, my dad died when I was two and a half. And so I had to learn to do some survival. Th well, I guess the first survival things were probably coming out of the womb early. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I was put in a shoebox in the oven door was open and I was put in a shoebox in the oven. That's what they did in those days because <laughs> it's a good thing. They paid attention. <laughs> they didn't have incubators and, yeah. and they fed me with an eyedropper and uh, they bathed me with olive oil. That's why I always say my skin is so beautiful. Anyway. Oh, I, uh, oh that would be the reason why you like Mediterranean food so much. I do too. <laughs> and, uh, and I really, I'm really Italian, I think in my soul. Yeah. However, I, uh, I, my mother remarried. I became a walker. My family name was Shuet, mm -hmm. and uh, which was your great grandmother's maiden name. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they came from Alsace in the 1840s to um, near a little town called Mary Hill near Guelph and then went up to Bruce County. And so uh, I was raised also Roman Catholic, which uh, I've grown beyond, but that's where I started. And, uh, <laughs> and, and the communities there were very... Um, well, I guess the major line was whatever you do, don't. So don't ever break the laws. Don't have a nervous breakdown, as they used to say. Don't uh, change. If by the time you're 21, you're supposed to know what you were to have been. And uh, and you're a male, so you're supposed to be like this and all of that. You're supposed to play hockey in Bruce County. And I mm. wanted to figure skate. So that was a problem. Anyway, um so I've I've arrived at seventy nine. I'm uh, a happy gay man, married to another gay man. Although I always think that uh, the word isn't big enough for who we are, because I think we're huge sexually, yeah. uh, and our sexual identity is bigger than than a name. And mm-hmm. um, and and so I'm uh, living in the most wonderful place in the world, which is Stratford. I live right across the street from the Stratford Festival Theater, uh, the main stage. And uh, I once in a while help out with things there. And uh, and the rest of the time I spend my life as a, a, a happy elder. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm realizing I'm old. I saw, I saw a, the other day I had to do... A, a piece for the Stratford Symphony. I had to read from uh, <clears throat> Dylan Thomas's A Child's Christmas in Wales and Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. And mm-hmm. uh, they filmed me here in our great room. And uh, I looked at the, at the thing <laughs> and I've got a double chin. And at first I was upset. <laughs> and then I said to Ray, my partner, I said, what the hell? I'm 79 years old. I can have a double chin if I want. And I was, I did a concert on the 3rd of June at Revival House here and they filmed me. Um, I was great from the front, but they filmed me from the side and I had a little bit of a, a turkey wobble under my chin and I thought, oh, there you go again. However, I'm 79. I'm uh, tall, not dark, but white hair now and a beard yeah. and uh, and probably good looking. Uh, th- some people think I am, and you can take a look if you want on on YouTube or something and check it out. Exactly. Anyway, so that that's where I am at this stage. I write, <clears throat> I compose, I perform, I walk ten to fifteen thousand steps a day. I cook. I, I yeah, I'm a chef. I'm happily happily married in a very wonderful relationship with a wonderful man. Anyway, that's where I am uh, today. And COVIDly, I think I'm probably okay too. We, yeah. I s- spent 20 years of my life in a Dominican monastery, so I'm used to solitude and silence. And, um, and so that it ain't that bad here either. Anyway, that, that, that's where I am today. That's a good place to sort of um, sort of go from that book ending of 
beginning to now to a very important early part of your life. And I had forgotten that you were raised Roman Catholic, even though, you know, I know that, but we just forget these things. So what made you... I've tried to. (laughs) (laughs) What made you choose to go into the priesthood and then why the Dominican order? Yeah. I don't think I chose to go into the priesthood. I think I decided to become a Dominican. So the Dominicans are an order of itinerant friars who were founded in 1216 by Dominic Guzman, who was a Spaniard who, when he came through France going up to Norway, uh, I believe it was Norway, to with his bishop, um, he discovered that there was a, a religious, I, I'm going to call it a religious disease going on in in uh, the south of France, uh, centered around Albi and Carcassonne, Montpellier, Toulouse. And uh, these people were Gnostics with a thin Christian veneer. So they they, uh, believed that uh, human life was really not good. Uh, Sexuality was evil. Um, uh, Christian teaching says that God became human or an earth creature in Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, They believed that he didn't really become a human and that humanity was really uh, suspect. Anyway, uh, Dominic really struggled with that and decided to bring together a group of women first Mm -hmm. um, and then men uh, who would try to, I'm going to say rebalance. Now that's probably a a 21st century way of talking about something that would have more been get them back into orthodox line. Um, mm. Anyway, he he founded this group of of men. They became became called the Order of Preachers, and they were uh, a new, a new form of religious life. They lived not in monasteries that were attached to land, but they lived in monasteries usually around the university. And they lived in in community, and they spent the day in prayer and study. Study was huge with the Dominicans. <clears throat> and uh, anyway, I, I met them first when I was studying after after grade thirteen. I I, wa- I wanted to go to Spain, and I Ernest Hemingway talked about the bullfights and stuff like that in Spain, and, and these things that went on in Spain, and with with men and being, I forget the 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 the, um, the event, but in this a town in Spain, they let the bulls out and the men, mm-hmm. uh, and they go through the streets. Anyway, I was quite taken with all of the sense of adventure, and my stepfather said, "I, if I ever went to Spain, um, I would never be allowed back in the house." Well, if he knew who <laughs> I really was, he probably wouldn't have let me in the house anyway. But I, I. Uh, so I decided, uh, since I can't go to Spain, because I didn't really want to be disowned at the age of 20, uh, I decided I would go to Quebec, and, and because I thought as a good Canadian I needed uh, to be bilingual, and, uh, and I am. And, 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 and so I went to Laval University. While there, I, I had a, a first really serious girlfriend, um, and and 
but while I was entertaining the thought of maybe having a girlfriend, um, I met the Dominicans who were uh, had uh, at the top of Montmorency Falls. There was a uh, uh, the old Kent house, which was a, a house of a, a, a mansion that had been built by the Queen Victoria's son, I believe. And um, the Dominicans had bought it and ma- turned it into a monastery. And it was a fabulous place. And, and they had retreats there. And I went, I met some of them and two of them played the violin. And I had never, first of all, I'd never met priests who were smart. Most of the right. priests I knew weren't intel- in, intelligent. They, I mean, they were nice, maybe, and they knew a lot about hockey, but they did. They weren't. They weren't smart, um, and and these men were brilliant. And uh, I remember one of them, Arcade Monette, who would walk with me, and we'd speak the little bit of French that I could. And I can remember him teaching me. Uh, Je chante le héros dont Aesop est le père. Isn't that something from 19 on? I remember those first words. I think it's Racine. Anyway, I, uh, I was just blown away that these delightful men in long white woolen robes um, were intellectual and were, were musicians, some of them, and some of them were artists. And I remember one of them who was Japanese, saying he entered the order because he had never met men who were interested in flowers before. And hmm. and I thought it was the first time in my life that I had met men who had a, a good balance of male and female energy. And I'd never hmm. experienced that because any female energy that I had, and I had lots of it internally, um, I, I was... I was bound to hide. And mm-hmm. so uh, it, with this group of men, I found these uh, extremely well-balanced men. And, and I, I fell in love with that. And so uh, I came back, went to Western, uh, studied philosophy and music, and then at the age of 21, entered the Dominicans in St. Hyacinth outside of Montreal. Anyway, I, I uh, and so I entered there and I became, I didn't speak French well, but it didn't matter. I, I became uh, pretty well, perfectly bilingual and, uh, mm-hmm. and stayed. I was in St. Hyacinth for a year and then Montreal for a couple of years and then Ottawa for a couple of years. And then three of us went to Dubuque, Iowa, where the Dominicans had a, uh, uh, the first ecumenical school in the world, Lutherans, Presbyterians, and Dominicans. Mm-hmm. And we also had connections there to the Menninger Institute in Topeka, Kansas. And uh, so we were all pretty well trained in psychotherapy, and the whole monastery every week went into psychotherapy on Monday nights um, in groups of seven. Anyway, after that, I was ordained, uh, went to the University of Notre Dame to do doctoral studies, and then um, went to Mexico to study with Ivan Illich in Cuernavaca, did future studies with him, came back to Canada, was elected prior of the order. We st- started a small community that grew to be about 12 of us men. And then I brought women up from the States, which the Catholic Church had a real problem with in those days mm-hmm. uh, because the women preached and uh, did things that we did. And, and uh, they were only women you know, and mm-hmm. so they shouldn't, and, but they were fabulous. And, uh, and so we had a wonderful community and that's where uh, I first met you. 
Um, yeah. And then we realized we were cousins. Um, and 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 I I loved my life there. I was prior. I was elected three times to be superior of the community, and and uh, then I was in charge of anybody in English speaking in Canada uh, who was a member of the order. Anyway, I I did that for I did all of that for twenty years, and then I cracked up at forty. <laughs> and so to back up a, a little bit, the um, something that you said there was so interesting. You know, I was brought up Roman Catholic too, and I'm not observant in any way um, anymore, and haven't been for a very long time. But I remember as a as a boy, and we're trying to determine when we first met, maybe around 11, 12, or 13. Yeah, I remember yeah. my parents, and it was just my sister and I as the, their children, uh, just decided the Catholic church we were going to in Mississauga, where I was living, where I grew up, would just felt too stiff and controlling. And I don't know how they came upon this, but there was a Dominican parish where you were at and we went and I just remember every, all of us, how much we enjoyed it. And it, it, the way you described the education, that was something, even as a young boy, I realized right away, people were, the people up on, at the front of the church, the, 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 the priests, the women speaking, that was the first noticeable difference that women were actually speaking. I think you allowed them to read from the gospel, which in those days, it was a Catholic, like cardinal sin. Um, but they spoke to the congregation. They didn't speak down to the congregation. They spoke to the congregation and with the congregation as opposed to over the heads of and it wasn't boring and there was music there was a life there and you were playing keyboard and there i think there was somebody else that played music it was like it, i think it was the white man's version of a of like a black church <laughs> and it it was just it was so different, and I remember we got more involved with some of the th events that, that the church had organized. And then it was the um, when my great-grandmother on my mother's side passed away, and she was 93 at the time. And then we went to the funeral. We went back to my aunt's house, who had been taking care of um, my great-grandmother, who was bedridden at the time. You were there to preside over the mass and we're like why are you here and that's when we discovered yeah. our relations yeah yeah and then you know we began a, a friendship that we can go into a little bit at that um in a in a moment but if you want to what happened with this breakdown because that was this was a couple of years after the family realized we were related yeah. and then you, I think, saw something in the little boy, Darren, that probably spoke to the fact that you knew <laughs> this kid was different, meaning gay. <laughs> um, and then it was, you were 42. So what year was that? That was... No, I was, I was 40. Um, 40. I, actually, I was 39 when I, I had... I had a, a, a severe, severe burnout. Uh, we, yeah. We, we called it a burnout. It was a it was a burnout as a state of systemic exhaustion that mm -hmm. comes from a certain personality's relentless overextension. And I, I had, I had overextended. I became kind of, kind of a boundaryless lover. Uh, yeah. the, the needs and the community were so great. Um, people loved us because we were, 
we were with them. We, you know, we weren't called father or anything like that very much. It was usually Kelly or Albert or mm-hmm. John or Mary. And we I think were, I remember that. I think you were like, called me Kelly. Don't call me father, Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I never, see, I, I never thought of myself as a priest. I was, I was mm-hmm. ordained, but mm-hmm. I thought of myself as a brother in the community. And, and, uh, and, you know, I, uh, Dominicans often in the tradition became kind of part of the community. I, I can remember uh, Skip Prokop from Lighthouse coming one time and saying, Lighthouse was a rock group in, in the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of them are still around. Skip's dead now. But uh, uh, Skip came and said, uh, you know, my dad died and nobody will bury him. The, the priests won't bury him. Well, we would. You, would you do the funeral? I said, "Well, sure, I would." And so we became great friends, and and uh, and I became really close to the group of Lighthouse. And in fact, I wrote some music with them. And and I uh, I used to go out and and uh, there they. Bob McBride's dad would phone and say, "We we can't find him." So I'd go downtown and uh, go to uh, the Alma Combo or whatever it was called, Medina, mm-hmm. and look for him. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I we we were really part of uh, the life of the city, and mm-hmm. um, and I loved that. But I I I didn't look after myself. I didn't. You know, the the we didn't have the monastic life. We weren't we weren't made to run a parish. Uh, we were made to uh, live in monasteries and be at the university and teach or go out mm-hmm. preaching and 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 uh, and we were never made. We weren't trained to run parishes, although we did it really well. Mm-hmm. And, but during that time, I became disillusioned, which isn't a bad thing because if you live in illusion, it's not a good thing. But I. <laughs> I uh, the the church under the Polish Pope was going righter and righter, and we were going lefter and lefter, mm-hmm. and uh, and I didn't have good um, high internal hygiene, and so I I let myself oh the needs of the people were so great that I I just let myself be eaten up, and I loved it. You know there mm-hmm. was a lot of ego in that as well. But I, uh, it wasn't good for me, and so I, uh, I just started crying and throwing up and having di- diarrhea. I, 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 I began to uh, disintegrate, mm-hmm. and so um, I, I had to. Uh, eventually, the doctors told me if I wanted to live, I had to leave. I couldn't any longer mm-hmm. be a public figure, and mm-hmm. uh, and and that was a terrible thing because. Uh, it was my total identity, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it, and I don't regret an instant of it. There are parts of it that I regret because I think the, uh, I think the church and I, I don't think that the, I don't think any of the churches have understood human sexuality. I think I think that's a new dimension that uh, that this century is is exploring. But mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the institutions of, uh, though the churches and the mosques and the synagogues, they've all been controlled by mm-hmm. old men. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so there's, 
and old men do what they do and and men do what they have to do to deal with their sexuality whether it's yeah. kosher or not but uh, yeah uh, i i i began to realize that uh, that there were aspects of my being that i hadn't honored mm -hmm. and uh and when I broke down, I screamed out in the car, I can't stand all this adulation, quote, yeah. uh, 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 translated, I can't stand being everybody's sweetheart, everybody's savior. Uh, I can't stand all this adulation with no intimacy. And the yeah. intimacy I was talking about wasn't initially intimacy with anybody else, although that's an awfully important aspect. Um, mm -hmm. But intimacy with myself, somehow I'd given myself away and I had, uh, I had died. Kelly had mm -hmm. died and the shell was still there, but the, uh, I lost my soul. My first book that I ever wrote is called Loss of Soul, uh, Burnout. Yeah. And uh, I had somehow lost my soul. Soul is that energy that holds, that core energy mm -hmm. that holds all of our energies together. And what I had begun to do was to disintegrate and mm -hmm. my energy, I didn't have enough core energy to hold my being in place. And, so and this, this, just sort of to interject there as a, a question, you know, a lot of things probably came to a head at about the same time that, you know, it's usually always more than one thing that'll lead to this, um, kind of like climactic or explosive moment. But the other side of that is the question, what is the one thing that was missing that had you had it, that burnout wouldn't have happened? And I, I'll say, hold the question there for a second, because like what I mentioned there at the beginning is what I've always had as an impression of you was just how freely giving you have been and that you always have a smile and a warmth and just like an, an open armed hugging invitation energy about you. And I, you know, usually the obvious around that is whether or not you're getting that fully in return to the extent that you need it so that it's just like, you eat so much in the day, and then if you overexert yourself physically, but you don't feed, you're going to burn out yeah. for lack of energy. In this case, it was psychic emotional energy. When I saw you as a child, you know, I didn't have the perceptions I would have now, but I, I you know, the energy energy you gave off, you were like a rock star at church, yeah. right? <laughs> but that we see that happen with just plain old fashioned rock stars that they burn out if they don't replenish in some way. And so there's the challenge in any occupation, be it priesthood, brotherhood, rock star, author, personal development, you know, that you lose your soul. And so coming back to that question, I may have probably answered it. <laughs> Had there been one thing, um, what is that one thing ultimately that was missing that had it been there that the burnout or the loss of soul wouldn't have happened or would it have happened anyway? I, I, I think, well, first of all, I think it had to happen. I think for yeah. my, for my story to unfold, I think it had to happen because mm. most of my life after that, when I recovered was spent helping people not do the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think I think that one of the things that uh, was missing is what I've found in a what I've found in a in a loving relationship. Mm-hmm. Now I had loving relationships in the order, but we were all in the same boat. Yeah. Uh, we were all being over. We were all overextended, um, and uh, uh, but but there's there's also an an aspect that I can say now was totally missing, and that is the aspect of sexual integration. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, not everybody needs to have um, a sexual. Not everybody has to have a, a sexual expression um, like I know I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but there was just no there was that that part of my life which could have saved my soul was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that had to do with um, uh, with someone to to have and to hold. And mm-hmm. someone, and someone, not just to have and to hold, but somebody to be held by. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I needed to be, um, you know, in a in a in a human, in a good human sexual relationship. So there's give and there's take, mm-hmm. uh, but there's also um, a loving, um, compassionate uh, <clears throat> cor- correction. Mm-hmm. Um, um, somebody to hold you, but also to hold, hold especially to hold an in, an extrovert in, and mm-hmm. to uh, say, okay, you've gone far enough, or you shouldn't do that, or think about what you're doing. And in 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 the mm-hmm. order, there was uh, there was some of that, but but not not what I needed. I also needed some. I needed bodily affirmation confirmation and um and 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 delight and pleasure and and uh, and that was that wasn't permitted and and I, you know i chose to i chose that way of life so that's it's not their fault but but it, yeah. it it's not in their it's not in in there there's not that balance that's allowed in uh, in in that kind of life and it, wasn't, well, so, it wasn't a good thing. I'm just going to say sort of as an observation in that when you are an extreme giver like that and um, demonstrably so, not only in just giving, but in this very spiritual world of like being a Dominican priest at the time and then being looked up to and adored by others, um, I think for anyone to survive that there has to be some form of a rigorous ego that still defines the I. Um, so that, you know, in a way you get adored, but you don't let people in yeah, because you have to sort of maintain a particular kind of presence. And it just made me think of almost like, it sounds to me like what you are describing that what was missing for that kind of a personality and and most of us need this, but maybe more so it's like being, you said being held by somebody else, not just the, the 
physically being held by, but for you to be able to almost go as a dead weight where that person completely supports the weight of you and in your sense, the weight of your soul so that you can say, just hold on to all of me for even just a moment so that I can feel safe in your like holding of me. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's like, that's the letting go of the protectionist ego, even when, and that's the, that's the thing with ego, right? The expression of ego can be so different. We tend to think of ego as like a negative aspect of personality, but it's also, it defines us by, by our name, by our, you are, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, people used to say to, uh, to, to me or to Ray, oh, Ray is so good for you. And I wanted to say, oh, buzz off. What the hell do you mean? He's so good for me. Like, do a, uh, and yet I know, I know that he is. And, and I know that he's someone who uh, is like, I, I don't know if you know Myers-Briggs personality uh, yeah. mm-hmm. inventory, but I'm an ENFP, an extrovert, intuitive feeling and perceiving open-ended kind of guy. And mm-hmm. he's the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's what I need in my life. I need somebody who is the opposite of me, so that I can grow in in introversion, and I can grow in 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 data, and I can grow in thinking, and I can grow in putting limits to things. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I mean, I can be flaky, uh, but mm-hmm. and that's one of my gifts. I think. I mean, I'm an artist, so I can. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm open ended. But I, but uh, and that's what was that was that's what was really missing in my life that there mm-hmm. uh, I needed and and there was intimacy I needed and and that also involves sexual intimacy uh, and I and and not everybody needs that but but I know I needed that and mm-hmm. and, and I'm seventy nine and I still do you know I'm yeah. I I want to be uh, I I'd like to be more emotionally and sexually and spiritually alive at, at 79 than I was at 49 or at 39. Uh, and, and I think I am, but I, but that's a goal. Yeah. I, my, my most recent book, which isn't even recent anymore is called growing somewhere living life mm-hmm. after midlife. Um, you know, no, I didn't have great models for living life after midlife. Like once you hit midlife, you, you started to die and then you wait, mm-hmm. you looked like you were dying and you dressed like you were dying and, and uh, you know, you were on your way out. Well, mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 I had an old friend whose Italian grandmother used to say that she wanted to die living. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of my dream. Um, exactly. Exactly. I've only got 30 well, more years or so left. So I, yeah, we hope, right? Or yeah. if not more. Well, we but then in that period, in your sort of early 40s, when you were transitioning out of the priesthood and, and then sort of finding finding your way, then you were pretty much dating for the first time. And then you got, let's call it straight married. And then eventually you got gay married. Yeah. <laughs> so got, you've, you've experienced all of it. <laughs> I got straight married. I, 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 I met a woman who I, I really loved and, and still do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, and, but I think I, I, you know, I, 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 I think I, 
I, I was attracted to, to her. She was attracted to me um, because there was somebody who, as I said, you know, she didn't leave. Everybody else seemed like I could have a, mm-hmm. a, a relationship and then they'd leave, but she stayed. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we had, a, we had a, also a, a wonderful life together. It was, mm-hmm. it had its bumps because I, uh, I came out of the closet during it, which was tragic for her. It was awfully hard. Um, but, but we both grew through it and, and, uh, and she's survived and I've survived. And, and, uh, but, 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 and also I think at that stage, um, I needed somebody to give me some legitimacy because mm-hmm. when I left, I felt shamed and ashamed and, uh, and, and, uh, shunned by the Catholic church. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. And also, they were probably embarrassed by the fact that the guy who had been the the superior and 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 probably the major English Canadian, the best known English Canadian Dominican, uh, and and Dominican was a a pretty good badge to wear. I mean, th- these these aren't slouch Dominicans aren't slouches. They're uh, they're really impressive men, and uh, and so I broke down. I cracked up and and. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I, I probably I needed some legitimacy after that, and uh, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't get a job. I had no money. They don't pay you when you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had no money, and I didn't have a job, and I didn't know who I was. I, identity was, I mean, a huge uh, mm-hmm. uh, thing, um, and and um, so I went to a local bar to see if I could get a job as a waiter. Mm-hmm. La Castile in Mississauga, and the owner said, "Aren't you Father Kelly?" And I said, "No." He said, "Well, you look." He said, "You look like me." I said, well, I told that. I said, "I'm in disguise." No, I don't know who I am. I just need a job. And he said, "Have you ever waited on table?" And I said, "Well, I did bread and wine. I could probably learn the rest." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he said, well, you played the piano at George's Baby's Baptism, and you're good. Would you like to play in our piano bar? And I said, well, I've never really been in one. So I went home, and I I mean, I'd, stud- I'd studied, started studying piano at the age of four, mm-hmm. and, I, and I had a degree in piano from uh, the, the Faculty of Music at Western. And, and, I, uh, and I went home, and I practiced every... Gershwin and Cole Porter and everything I thought you'd be playing in a bar. And I went back to La Castile and started playing. I had a very successful bar, a bar career. And, mm-hmm. um, and, but then people started to notice me and I was asked, if, uh, Mary O'Hara, who was the leading Irish singer in the world, heard me sing in Halifax and asked me if I would tour with her. So I did that for a couple of years and, uh, in Canada and the UK, and then, and then did my own concert work, and so that that was a new identity that was happening. Mm-hmm. And then people started asking me to talk about burnout and stuff, and so I began working with teachers, and then medical teams, and social workers, and clergy, even except for the Catholics. And um, and and then I was asked if I would. I taught for a year at Huron College in London and a year at Trinity College in Toronto and then Toronto School of Theology. And um, 
So there was a whole new world that opened to me of speaking again, which I, mm -hmm. I love to do, and um, and and speaking to th like thousands of organizations over the years. I, I it, it's I'm, I think about it once in a while, and I wonder how in the world I did it. I traveled all over the world to do to do that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but but the um, the transition was hard. Transitions are always hard. Uh, get it's the in between time that's the hardest because you, you know identity is fragile and and then you've got to build up trust not only in yeah. yourself but in everybody and everything. And uh, anyway, it uh, it's worked so far. <laughs> I'm just getting ready just, for the next one. I just remember there were. If you just want to speak a little bit about this at that that period in your life when you were um, transitioning and you lived in 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 two places. One was on Heath Street and one was down the road from there. I think it was off Bathurst that I remember was like yeah. I, you walked up a turret. It was in some it was a, like a, oh, a few rooms in some old, huge Toronto oh. mansion. And oh. I just thought I remember that that was like you, I think somebody told you to try and like really find a place to celebrate life or something like that. And you have beautiful furniture. And as a little kid, I was like, wow, look at these crazy, wild, huge places you live in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd always yeah. lived in huge places. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I lived in Florence for a year and, and uh, yeah. Leonardo where Michelangelo had built the, yeah. the monastery. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, a friend of mine gave me uh, furniture when I left. Uh, his uncle was uh, Iggy Kanoff, and and uh, and so oh, wow. I got uh, uh, a dining room suite and and a Chesterfield and a few things, and then and then I uh, I sold the the, the uh, order let me take the piano that I had, and I sold it mm -hmm. and. Uh, and Hans Mueller, who was a lovely, oh, he was a crazy old German man who had the uh, the the big piano, German piano dealership in downtown Toronto, really liked me. And he said, I give you brother's price. I get you. I wanted a, a grand piano. Mm -hmm. And so he got me. He went to Germany and picked out the piano for me, which I still have now, 40 wow. years later. And wow. uh, it's it's a very, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's gone up in price a hundredfold. It's it's worth a ton of money now, and uh, but but and so I I had that and and I lived in the old Gage Mansion, which a friend of mine uh, at Bathurst and St Clair in Witchwood Park, a great mm -hmm. old place, and I had fabulous. It was a great apartment, wasn't it? And mm -hmm. then I, and then I left there and went over to Heath Street, and I don't know where I got the money because I had I mean I didn't make much money in the bar. And I wasn't doing <laughs> a lot of public speaking yet. Yeah, but I, 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 I you know, I, I had, I have a very trained eye for good things, and 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 so <clears> I, bought, <throat> I bought an armoire that I know cost eleven hundred dollars, and and I don't know where I got the eleven hundred dollars, but I got it, and then I, I had that and the piano and the, and and a few things and. <clears throat> Anyway, I, I decided I was going to have a classy life, and I did. And I wore expensive Italian clothes. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and anyway, I, I, uh, 
now I do value village, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but then I needed, yeah. and I, I mean, I can get the same fancy clothes in value village because I know what value is, <laughs> you know, anyway. But then, but then sort of you, you, there were some, uh, after that is when you, uh, got straight married. And then after that started, um, changing sometime after that you met Ray, but then the next major transition in your life was you and Ray built Ashcroft, which was just still, it, uh, whenever I think of it, the times I visited, it was just, Oh my gosh, it was just the most lovely retreat yeah. well, um, that I've ever been to. It was a, we decided we wanted to leave the city. We lived in Parkdale and Ray's, Ray's house. Uh, once I left, uh, the marriage and uh, and the the house just wasn't big enough for a piano and 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 us uh, and so we uh, decided we'd move to the country. So we went to the Hockley Valley and built a, a found twenty five acres that we managed and uh, built a house that replicated Ontario barns, and mm. it was a really a kind of a lovely manner and. Did retreats there and concerts. We could have eighty in the great room, and uh, and then I got connected with Mark Dubois, who's a lyric tenor, and we began doing a lot of concert work. And I started doing my own concert work again, and so it was a it was really a re- renewal place. And then mm-hmm. we, we directed re- retreats there, and uh, and it was uh, it was exciting. And but then we mm-hmm. decided we didn't need six thousand square feet anymore, so we. There's a lot of house cleaning. <laughs> Actually, it's e- it's easier to clean that than a little house. <laughs> Is that funny? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and uh, you just have to have a big mop. And yeah. anyway, we um, we then eventually moved to Stratford and uh, bought a big old house here, and then decided that oh, we didn't need a big old house here, so we found a little house across from the theater that a friend. Uh, was renting and she said the doctor wants to sell it so we bought it and then we bought 50 acres up in gray county outside of hanover and uh, mm-hmm. built a, a a place off grid as a secondary home mm-hmm. and uh, and so we had solar and wind for eight years and then we decided we were getting too old to be having two places so we yeah. added on to this lovely lovely home we have now in <laughs> in stratford which is yeah. a fabulous place for us to be. Yeah. And then the, the next major life challenges and life lessons were surviving cancer twice. Yep. Yeah, prostate cancer uh, when we first arrived at uh, Ashcroft in 1999. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that uh, was caught early. Um, and, that was that was an interesting journey because that uh, with radiation that changes your sexual stuff a little bit, and mm-hmm. so you have to find new ways of staying connected sexually, mm-hmm. and um, and and also the the fear, initial the initial fear of dying. And I mm-hmm. was in ninety nine. I was what fifty eight, um, and and so that was. Uh, that was a challenge, uh, but and I wrote about that in a book called "Dancing on the Ark: Facing Change mm-hmm. in Uncertain Times," mm-hmm. and uh, and and then 
three years ago now, uh, esophageal cancer. And uh, but they caught that at stage one, and they took out my esophagus, mm -hmm. and I could have died. They stretched my stomach up. I lost forty pounds, which is really wonderful for uh, <laughs> for a big guy. Yeah, and, uh, and now I can eat everything. I've done four major concerts since then, and uh, I'm singing, I think, as well as I ever have, and maybe yeah. even better. And and I'm I've got more depth to me now that I I almost died again. Yeah. And, uh, and what 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 do you think? We've talked a lot of really challenging issues in life. What do you think has helped you not so much pull through, but to, to keep persevering through all of these different challenges? Hmm. Well, uh, Ray, my partner, yeah. um, is, is a major thing, but I, I think, you know, and it might be a genetic thing. I, and and it's the the our family name that we both you and I share is Shuet, and uh, the Shuets when when they came from Alsace in the eighteen forties, uh, their name wasn't Shuet; it was Sheet S C H I T T like Schitt's Creek. Yep. Um. And uh, and mm. that family, and I don't know whether that family is very positive. I I just I grew up with. Um, a very positive birth family. My mother's family was half Irish, half Alsatian, and uh, um, they were sterner. But the Shuets had a a, a sense of grand grand grandness, mm -hmm. and uh, and also humor, and uh, um, I think a sense that life is good and it's good to mm -hmm. be alive um and i think i think that helped helped oh. me um my stepfather's family the walkers were uh half alsatian as well and half english and uh, but and they they were all they all had alcoholic pro alcohol problems and and uh, our other families didn't uh and and but and they were stern uh, and and not happy people, but I I think I was graced with uh, with a uh, an inner sense of delight, and mm. I think I live I think I live with that. Um, I wake up in the morning and think uh, th this this is uh, I'm glad to be alive. Even when even when I was quote unquote ill uh, with cancer, I never really thought myself as being ill i thought well i've just got cancer and i've got to deal with this and and then i'll be i'll be okay or if i'm not okay i'll die and uh, well we all we're, we're all going to die and and uh, i'm not sure what that's all about but i but i know that that's one of the things that'll happen and uh, anyway there's there's some there's a a very positive core and i think i think that was also um reinforced by the dominicans right. um, they didn't have dominicans dominican theology thomas aquinas uh and company didn't have a sense uh, we didn't have a sense that we were bad 
Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we like original, not original sin, but original blessing. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, we weren't tainted. Whereas I think the Jesuits and all the Protestant stuff that came after was had a really negative attitude toward humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, I'm happy I was raised in the Dominican order because it was a, a good place to grow up. I, I've grown beyond it. And my theological understanding of Christianity is, is very different from anything I ever would have had before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and I, I don't, I don't know if I would call my, I would call myself a re, certainly a recovering Catholic, and I would call <laughs> myself probably post-Christian because mm-hmm. that, that Christianity is part of the wallpaper that I that I have in my room. But mm-hmm. it's, uh, I think I've grown grown beyond the traditional Orthodox pattern, and and I. I think you have to. I mean, I have to anyway. Yeah. Well, I think that you know, I in in different words, I've I've said this already, but um, you are clearly someone who celebrates life. Speaking to, you know, how you've answered the question, it sort of reminds me, and I think it's Martin Seligman in his book Flourish, and um, I think there were some studies done about some people really seem to be more genetically predisposed predisposed to just being more generally happy and some people tend to veer more on the side of being the more negative and i don't know i i those things are all about prediction and response and and how things work in our brains and we can retrain ourselves but i know i tend to have a little bit more of falling into the negative side of things and i i think that's why i've had such a meaningful friendship relationship with you. I know that's why I'm so attracted and still very much with my partner because he's the the joyous, the silly, the ebullient one. And we, you know, it's it's these things which we maybe aspire to um, that we look for in either close friendships or or in our partnerships. And and you know, so all of this life that you've had and and the performing and the speaking, you know, I consummate performer is is a way i would describe you uh because you seem to really exude life and celebration when you are performing and i mentioned to you when we were chatting a month or so ago um the what was supposed to be a live concert for you you did uh live virtual streamed and you you were sitting on the bench playing the piano, introducing and telling a little story about each song and then going into playing the piano and singing. And you would look to the audience, but in this case, you were looking to the camera, but I couldn't hear an audience clapping or any noise, but I swore you were, there was an audience there. I just thought, how do you do this? There is so in, but in that, I think is perhaps the word I would best describe you as celebratory. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Corita Kent was a, a, a U.S. American nun who was a um, very famous uh, serigraph artist. So, so that's uh, silk silk screen printing, okay. and uh, she was uh, she was uh, she wrote a book called Oh, I something in head. Footnotes and Headlines, I think as it was called. And mm-hmm. she said, to celebrate is to say, 
yea to who we are in a ceremonial way. Hmm. And I think uh, I think that was really a, a good thing. And I and and thank you for saying that. I I, I feel that I'm celebratory and and uh, and I like to be. I mean, we we can go out walking now. That's about all we can do in Stratford. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same thing in downtown Toronto. That's about it. <laughs> With COVID, yeah. But you know, we mm. it's it's interesting as we walk along the river, say hello to every everybody says hello to everybody, mm. and and I think of uh, a song that uh, Mark Dubois and I often sing together in concert. Uh, but a wonderful world that um, uh, Louis Armstrong sings. Uh, I, I, I see people, uh, mm-hmm. pass, people passing by, and and you say hi, and uh, and they're really saying I love you, and and I, you know, I think that's that, that's a way we, if we're going to survive as a as a humanity, we we have to learn to be open to each other and to say I love you in uh, in in all kinds of ways, rather than mm-hmm. putting up barriers all the time. <laughs> And I think that's one one of the. I think there are a couple conversions we have to go through um, as a humanity right now. I think the first one is is uh, we have to establish a relationship with the earth and with mm-hmm. the universe and realize that we're not dominant in it, but that we're we're we're, we're earth creatures. We're part of the stuff of this, yeah. and uh, and we've isolated ourselves from the earth and made ourselves demigods. And I think so. I think there's that's a really important conversion for us, and and that will allow us to die in peace too, because we return to the earth that we're part of. It's it's not ugly uh, to be part of the earth because that's who we are. But we've forgotten that. Mm-hmm. And then I think one of the other conversions is is uh, to uh, beyond to go beyond tribalism. Um, and uh, I mean, we've we, we've got terrible instances of that around us of uh, tr- tribes that are calling themselves the only way, and that's that doesn't yeah. work. And we're all part of the same. I, I I met a friend today as I was out walking, and she had her mask on, and uh, and I had a mask on, and I said, "Well, I didn't even know it was you," and mm. and and, uh, and I said, "But we've all become." Muslim, because we've we've all covered our faces, and she mm-hmm. said, "Well, that's really a good thing." Because she said, "We used to feel awful about uh, Muslim people covering their women covering their faces, and now we're all doing it." And she said, "It might be a really good thing for us to learn that we're all we're, we're all the same." And mm-hmm. uh, and the other the other uh, major growth I think for us is uh, is human sexuality, where I I think we've really we've we've we we've boxed ourselves in and we haven't uh, we haven't explored our sexual energy mm-hmm. in a positive way yet yeah. Yeah. i think we're starting to but um i, I was in a i was in a uh, a sex shop the other day Imagine saying that out, right out loud. I was in a know, right? shop the other day, and uh, <laughs> trying on nipple clamps. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and uh, there was a 
a very lovely woman. We only ha- we have one in Stratford, uh, not not mm. a lovely one. We have one sex shop, <laughs> and uh, and a man came in and he said uh, um, to her, she he she he said, "I'm looking for a vibrator for my wife." And I thought, boy, you wouldn't have said that twenty years ago, and you wouldn't have yeah. a man wouldn't have come in and said that he was getting something like that for his wife, and. Mm. Uh, and and I picked up something for myself, and uh, she said to me, uh, as I was giving her a hundred dollars or something like that, she she said, you know, that's my that's my husband's favorite sex toy. <laughs> I said, thank you. I thought, well, we've come a long way to be able to say something like that and to be comfortable and uh and anyway, I think we're maybe on the verge of growing up, but it's going to take us still a little longer. Oh, I I agree. I mean, this is much, I, I knew you would speak to many of the things that I'm interested in and with some of the, the work that I'm doing in my studies with the, the, the Tao Te Ching. I won't speak to them here. I'll bring them up at another point, but you know, just to talk about this idea of like impartiality and humility and, and oneness, which you've expressed sort of in what you suggested is the the three transformations. And, and just the big one is I think as human beings, when we come to define and label and give names to things and try and create power, and then the dominant power systems are primarily run by men and patriarchal, this is, this is the, one of the biggest challenges we need to overcome because connected with that, just because we can manifest things, just because we have creative potential because of how our brains have evolved that make us different from animals, that I think is what has allowed us to sometimes set ourselves apart from nature, to think that somehow we're better than because we can make buildings, because we can create something called the internet. But we forget, like you said, we forget that we are of this earth. We are organically created by this planet. (laughs) So if we don't treat the planet well, it's just going to do its thing to get rid of the virus called humanity at some point in time, or at least make us suffer. (laughs) It's trying to right now. This is a possibly... For for many for many of us and and I think for nations too a rebalancing act. Yeah, and we have to learn how to become human beings again mm-hmm. uh, because uh, we've <clears throat> we've abandoned that dream. Yeah, human beings as opposed to human de- doings. I know that's kind of a cliche, but you know we are so caught up in goals, head down, looking at our phone. What's the next thing we have to attend to, and you know, sometimes that's just part of our modern day life, but we've forgotten. I think that's the best word as opposed to saying yeah. um, we've chosen to do so. It's just I things have forgotten. I think you're right. We've forgotten. We've forgotten to look up. We've forgotten to look at nature. We've forgotten, um, you know, the more I go out for walks, um, I... And especially now during COVID, even this last nine months, I was writing something um, a couple of weeks ago for a post and I was looking at my journal from the first 
week pretty much of the lockdown and my notes were i thought i was going to break down in tears while walking outside because of how i saw everything had been shut down but it was a very strange feeling it was just the the emotional uh, f- feeling for um the lack of prediction like what the hell is going on what's going to happen when it was right at the beginning and then just thinking you know people are going to lose their shirts that have like brick and mortar businesses. And then at the same time, there was this, it's so nice and quiet, mm-hmm. you know, like what, a, what a paradox, <laughs> but that is, the, that's the rebalancing that's happening with COVID and I'm seeing it and I'm giving great thought to how I'm leading my life and how I've led my life in these last nine months and where and how I want to keep going and changing. And I really do believe that more people are looking at this and being conscious of how things have been and knowing that when, when things get better, it's going to become a, a new normal. Yeah. 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 Well, we have to re reassess and we have to um, reform, find mm-hmm. new forms of being. And I think, I think we're on, <clears throat> We're, you know, this this is helping us do that, and uh, yeah. whether we'll be smart or not, um, I but I, and I think, you know, even as as a nation, where people are, you know, people are saying, well, wear masks, and it's to be kind. I mean, and yeah. and, and 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 I see signs around that say, you know, be kind, and and I'm finding that people are, <laughs> people yeah. want yeah. to be, and and there are yeah. some who don't, and there there are some <laughs> who are. And 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 it's often the the religious ones that become uh, arrogant, mm-hmm. and 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 they so they won't do things because they've got the answers. Well, we've all got to find answers, and and uh, they're going to be new answers, and there'll be new slants on old answers because uh, mm-hmm. they they weren't some of the old answers weren't good enough for who we have to be now. Yeah, and uh, and and it's it's. You know, it's it's also through conversations like this that we yeah. that we grow and change, and uh, and I'm really I'm really proud of that you've grown uh, uh, to be a lovely man, and and mm. and, uh, and and I think that that you've uh, you've embraced the dream that I've that I've had of of helping mm-hmm. liberate people and and helping. Uh, transform institutions and and uh, you know I, I think that's that's great most of us who were in the monastery uh in my time have left and mm-hmm. but what i what i'm thrilled about is that so many of us are involved in transformative work yeah helping people uh grow grow into their fullness and that's uh that's my dream that we all become yeah. that we all become prettier from the inside out and sex, <laughs> and sexier and and uh happier and more creative and that we we live with deep 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 imagination because okay. if we limit ourselves we uh we're not going to be happy and and uh and 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 that uh that uh, Amer- US American author you talked about uh who has written extensively on happiness? Oh, Martin Martin Seligman. 
Seligman. He he uh, you know he 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 has he he he's caught on, yeah. <laughs> and and, and uh, we we can all be happy. And uh, exactly, we can we can look at psychology from a positive psychology standpoint as opposed to what's wrong with you. That's right. What's wrong with you looks backwards. Sometimes it's important to deal with that, but the looking forward is where we need to go, but always from where we are at this moment. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You're young. So we've said a lot of. You're young, but you're pretty smart. <laughs> I try my best. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you if there were any words to live by, but I think you just uh, summarized it. Maybe any final thoughts before we sign off? No, I think just be grateful. Be grateful yeah. for for the life. Be grateful. Uh, 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 love. Love your body, love your uh, love your imagination, love your love your home, love the clothes you put on, love the food you eat, love the air you breathe, and and uh, love the, the creatures around you because uh, that's that's all. And we and we'll grow into uh, uh, we we. We, we can grow into a deep communion with everything that is so that when the time comes for us to leave this phase of life, uh, we can, we can say, well, I died living and, uh, and, uh, I want to be beautiful. There you go. Perfect. Thank you. Thank, thank, thank you, Kelly. Thanks for this time. It's been a pleasure. Oh, Let's do it goodness. again tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.